Today's episode is a really fun talk with Nolan and Ola from Infuse about agile software development and automated testing and shifting quality to every part of the software development cycle. Welcome to Testing Code. I've got a couple people today on the podcast from Infuse, and it's a test automation. Co- Actually, I think it's a test automation company. I've just learned a little bit about it, but I've got Nalin and Ola. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about test automation, but before we get started, I'd like to know a little bit about both of you. So, Nalin, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. My name's Nalin Harbu. I'm from uh, a town called Leicester, which a few years ago was famous for winning a uh, the Premier League soccer title here against all the odds and uh, a small provincial club. Basically, I've been in London 20 years, educated in London, studied a math degree, and I am the CEO of Infuse Consulting. Oh, cool. Yeah. And uh, Ola? Hi, my name is Ola Miale, and I'm actually a newbie in software testing. Um, I originally, my background is more in social sciences, but I was employed in Infuse, and now I'm a software, I sell software software testing um, tools and yeah i'm just here to learn and hear everything hear the new information that's out there well that's awesome and um nalan is going to help us with uh learning more about test automation and it's something i'm passionate about as well so i'm really excited to hear somebody else's perspective well let's jump into uh test automation so are you the cto or ceo what's your title again i kind of uh, have a couple of titles Brian, you know, I'm what I call the CEO, but I don't do much executive work. It's more chief everything officer. Uh, you know, so we are we are there. We are the 20 year old startup, right? So uh, you know, we we we're not a a massive company. We're about 50 people between here and India, and I still take a very active role in terms of product development, in terms of uh, looking at the market and the strategy and where we need to go as a business. And then yeah, and then I, and then I get involved in the other bits, right? The, to the sales, the marketing what I call the everything bit. And then from time to time, I do a bit of executive work, right? But it really, I, I would say I'm still in chief everything mode instead of chief executive mode. Okay. Well, before, so have you been with uh, Infuse for the whole duration? I am, yeah. I'm one of the founders and the owner. I started the business in uh, a place called Canada Water in London 18 years ago in my lounge. And I'm actually sitting in our original office as we speak, which okay. is uh, my spare bedroom. We've now moved to the more modern climbs of an area called Shoreditch, which is a bit of a hipster town and village, although abandoned at the moment during COVID times. But it's a bit of a, a fun part of town, a bit like your meatpacker district in New York. Oh, okay. Yeah. How did you get into test automation in the first place? Bit of a funny journey, I think. I'm 47 year old, Brian. So uh, you know, you don't design start off a testing career when you're 27, 28, 29. I got into IT at a young age, you know, I was coding and stuff on the BBC Micro Model B. I don't know if you remember these machines in the US, but, you know, there was coding in basic as a young lad and then got in, did a math degree and then was still coding in that and, and then basically did a master's and thought, right, I'll, I'll, be, I'll become a developer, a developer, then I'll become a CTO and I'll become a CIO and that'll be my career. And I was working in a town called Coventry. 
and I apologise to my West Midland friend from down the road. But, uh, but you know, I didn't like it. Right, not a very nice place. I've been in London seven years, and I uh, was desperate to get into London. So I applied for a job for a company based in the northwest in a town called Preston, which is near Manchester. And they said they were opening a London office. So I went up there and I presented some ideas around componentization of software and APIs and, and how things will be plug and play. And they said, you can have the job. And I thought, yeah, this is great. They go, you're going to be a consultant. I go, that sounds great being a consultant, 26 years old. And then they put me on this course for a product called Test Director. If anyone's been around testing long enough, it's by a product by Mercury, which became Microfocus today. And I was like, damn, tester, right? Not <laughs> what I wanted to be. Yeah. <laughs> and so my, my father said to me, he goes to me, don't, don't just discount it, right? He goes to me, you know, you, you might find a niche, so give it, give it a go, right? Before you, you know, before you quit on day week, week one. So I gave it a few months and uh, found the opportunities offered by, you know, tools like Windrunner, started working with embedded systems and then automated testing of embedded systems and working in automated testing of ticketing machines, ticketing gates and all sort of interesting, fun coding nerdy stuff really so I, I found a niche and i like and it was complicated it was challenging and so i thought this is really really good fun and then the company i worked for which was a pure play testing company wanted to put me a manual test projects i'd spend a lot of time writing scripts to automate it so the sales guy and i would have lots of fights because i'd ruin all the billing right by automating the test <laughs> he'd be like, yeah he'd be like oh, you're meant to do it manually i'm like no i've automated it and i'm like like going well you've ruined the billing and i'll be like well got to you know don't put me on these projects <laughs> that kind of went on they should do it like um like you know auto mechanics do and just um have a uh, a fixed hour per thing even if it only takes five minutes it's billed as an hour or something like that output based testing right yeah uh, you know yeah you know, finish a job it's uh you know whether it's in a in a month or a day it's 500 bucks right or <laughs> pounds or whatever right yeah so this happened a few times so i ended up leaving that company climbing the testing ladder as a test manager trying to create the revolution going every company i would join you got to automate all your testing and then obviously the rest of the program team would go yeah you can do that right at the end when we've screwed everything up got a little bit of budget do some automated regression tests that was my frustration for many many years right brian and i had visions you know like i could integrate this into you know uh, old build tools like ant if you remember them back in the early 2000s and stuff like that those are the kind of things i was going right let's use these build tools Let's integrate automated testing. Let's do load testing within the container and all this stuff. And no one really wanted to listen to that. They said, no, just, just test it at the end, right? And do your performance testing at the end and do your regression testing at the end. Oh, dear. Okay. And um, and that was kind of, you know, the story of testing, really. I thought... Now, around what time? When was this? Or about what it, what what year? So this would have been about 1998 to 2001. Okay, you know, that, that sounds about that, right. This was all going on, right? Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, and so I started Infuse in February 2002. Okay. And, and the vision was really create an automated testing company. It will do performance testing. We'll hire technical people. We'll hire these things, these people called solution engineers, and they will be a little bit of dev, technical testers. They'll be able to see the life cycle, and they'll be able to change and revolutionize the world. In small pockets, we were able to do that, right? But on the large programs, at the large companies, at your Fortune 500, FTSE 100 companies, yet to toe the line with all the big system integrators, right? It takes a long time to change the behavior of a big company. It does, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then the timing was interesting. If I remember right, uh, late 90s, 
ideas like extreme programming and notions from pragmatic and stuff were coming coming in and lean programming and uh, stuff like that were helping to legitimize software testing or automated testing at least and there were there were at least some efforts to do more automation in the development cycles yeah no you're right and uh, you know one of the one of the jobs I did do in the late 90s was with a bunch of guys where where we were practicing XP, doing pair programming, sitting down and, and working closely with developers and business people, what I would call early forms of Scrum, really, right? You know, yeah. Trying to work collaboratively. But, you know, that was uh, in a startup environment, right? In, in the, what I call the legacy environment, the, the corporate environment, it was very, very different. Yeah, definitely. I know this interview isn't about me uh, working for large companies, essentially, small groups within large companies. Pretty much my entire career started in 96. But the push for automation has been developer, a developer effort, I think, because it's just a faster way to develop stuff, to automate your tests. Uh, you're right, Brian. Yeah, it's definitely uh, been a push. I think the, the modern developer, or, and, and, and there's been a lot of guys you know, around that, Sort of vintage around between ninety six and two thousand. You know, they're 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 kind of around between forty five and fifty years old today, right? And they were there was a big push around trying to do sort of a TDD, right, test driven development back in those days, right? Which is where we sat down and we would do the pair programming. We would look to design the tests earlier on, get involved with the business, and drive. You're right. Without without the efforts of the developer community to promote automated testing. The business by the time you know get testing you need to automate it's already too late right because you've you've already shipped the code the the actual efficiency is early in the life cycle right writing those api tests those unit tests so developers really really had to get brought into this situation right to make it work make it fly and it's through that change in engagement to be honest that actually infusers had some more success because we now engage with a community that speaks similar language right we, you know we engage with technical people. You know, our, previously our head of customer, our customer was a head of testing, a, a program test manager. Now our customer is a head of engineering. Oh, interesting. And that helps. And, and that head of engineering person is a, is a strong believer of, okay, you do automated testing. I want to hear what you can help me with estimates and frameworks and efficiencies and driving quality engineering. And those were stories that you didn't hear from your traditional test manager, right? Because he was receiving the waterfall model or, or the V model of testing would say one thing, but the reality was is testers got shipped code and the requirements, they had very little input into it, even though they should have been involved, right? They were like going, but the requirements are rubbish and the code's rubbish. Well, it doesn't matter. Just test it, right? If it doesn't go live. It's going to be your fault. I was always amused by the, the V model. So they basically take the waterfall model and then put a bend in it halfway through and call it something different. It's, it's the same thing. It's just got a bend in it. Thank you, PyCharm, for sponsoring this episode. I first tried PyCharm when they started supporting PyTest many years ago. Their support for PyTest is now amazing. I was a longtime Vim user, so next I needed to test the IdeaVim plugin. So all of my finger muscle memory still worked while editing. Check, it works great. There's lots of reasons to love PyCharm, but for me, it is because they have the absolute best user interface for test automation. Then I learned many more ways PyCharm can save me time, like really great support for editing Markdown, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, remote connections to database, and amazing version control support. 
Really, it's the best git diff tool I've ever used. And now version 2020.3 is out, and the shift shift, the find anything key sequence, even lets you search git commit messages. What even? That is so awesome. Tons of other cool features have been added in 2020.3. Check it out, and I hope you enjoy it at testingcode.com slash pycharm. A lot of your career sounds like, um, or at least your early career, was fighting against uh, the inertia of uh, relying on manual testing. Yeah. The thing about Intuit is that we were always about automation performance. So naturally, that in the early start, early part of our company's uh, career, I'll take what I call the Infuse 1.0 days, right, between 2002 and 2009, a lot of the work you pick up is at the end of the project. So you know about a big program at work, and uh, you know it's going to run for three years, but your opportunity was going to come two and a half down, years down the line because that's when they were interested in automation. Yeah. We never set out to supply you know, what we call uh, you know, two bob a penny testers, right? Uh, or or two cent testers, you may call them in the, in the US, right? You know, which is, you know, here's a bunch of testers. They're all manual. They'll follow this process and they'll execute it and they'll run it 50 times, right? Or however, and we'll scale up. We just never, my business vision was never to deliver that. It was to drive innovation by shifting left. And I just felt at the time that the, my vision and the state of what I call the delivery at the time just wasn't there. And I think now we are in a better, better aligned place, right? With where... IT delivery is going, they want to do Agile, they want to do DevOps, they want testers to get involved in the story, their ceremonies like three amigos and they're really important and the teams aren't, you know, 200 people, they're like squads of 10, 12, right, or, or even less and that seems to work better. I'm going to take a quick, just because we you brought up the phrase shift left and I don't think we've ever defined it on the show so far. What's your notion of what shift left means? To me, uh, shift left is about looking at the cause and start of quality, right? So, And shift left is all about starting off with quality. And, and often people think that starts off with requirements, and, and it does, right? But, but actually, my view starts off with architecture, right? That starts off the notion of, you know, you could have a tough architecture and great requirements and not going to be very good, right? And so choices like uh, an integration platform, whether you go, ESB or you know or whether you go or something else right will make big de- big decisions big big impact on your applications right so you know you could go something like a confluence or, or you could go for a traditional ESB platform and you know you could scupper your scupper your great program just through choice of through that architectural choice right and that's not necessarily a requirement or business requirements based decision to me the shift left starts goes that's where it starts it's about implementing quality decisions, choices, and requirements throughout the software engineering process. Right. So we're shifting that quality behavior left through, the, if we consider the life cycle of a, of a product from left to right, we're shifting the quality ideas as far left as we can. And actually throughout the whole thing, just smearing quality all over the place. Correct. Yeah. 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 Not like a Nutella, but you know, with the, but yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I think I think the buying for quality needs to come in at a business level. If you were going to buy a house, you wouldn't say build it with crap material or bridge. Or, so even a, a minister would say, okay, you know, we are, would have input into the quality of some of those decisions. In IT, an executive, a finance person, or, or an CEO will kind of, you know, let not have an input into that decision. 
and should should be a little bit accountable for those quality decisions, right? Um, so, so you're right. So it is smearing quality up the chain and making everyone accountable as a team for that quality output. I think of it also as uh, being able to utilize, starting to build the uh, test automation as soon as you can, because it will then you can use it as regression. You can keep running it. And the other thing is around that is you can discover problems and solve them when you have enough time to solve them, like uh, API decisions. Sometimes if you've already got partner companies looking at your product, maybe that's too late to change an API. So you want to be testing far earlier than that. One of the other things that you brought up in the conversation was the two titles, developer and tester. And I kind of think of those as merging into one, but there's a lot of companies that still have those very separate. Yeah. I used to have a guy when I was first developing, uh, I was writing APIs for a cider company called uh, Bulmers. They make a cider called Strongbow. The UK is quite famous. And I was writing these APIs for them and in, uh, in, interfaces as they were at the time, right, in the lab. And every time there was a defect in my code, the test used to come up and he used to always dress like in the Blues Brothers black suit, yeah? And when he found a defect, he used to put on the hat, put on the shade, and come over to my desk, right? And that was kind of uh, and that was a good, fun way of kind of doing testing, right? He'd come over, you see him coming in the corner of your eye. He was quite a robust chap, right? Big chap. And you see him walking towards you, and you're like going, damn, I've, uh, he's found something, right? And, <laughs> and, you, and you did, yeah. yeah. And, and so the aim was always like, I, I don't want him to put in the hat and glass. And, but it was quite good fun working in that type of environment. There is a, a melding of the of the two, you know, and, and people have called it estet. I think there still needs to be some separation, though, right? But uh, because they are two different qualities, right? Because you've got the person that writes the code, and you've got the person that kind of needs to validate that the code is written to requirements, meets the user story, is written in a good way. You know, the unit test is well written and executed, and then looks at it from a different point of view. And I and I, and I don't think this is. Um, particularly a mindset issue, it's more of a focus issue in a mode where you're creating code and you're writing functions that you need to go in a certain way. So you, so I think the, the line of separation is, is, I think there is what I call this, uh, there is this merger of the two, but I still think there's a separation of roles within the team of the quality engineer and, and the developer and okay. the software engineer. I advocate myself that people should have the skills to do all the roles. And also, there's no harm in people popping roles, right? In terms of context switching, yeah, all those but, roles, yeah. Well, so maybe their their roles, maybe it does make sense to have the roles still there in some cases, but the skill sets are are very very similar because with automated testing, the person writing the tests is writing they're writing software. They're just writing software to test other software. Correct. I'm in violent agreement. There's some companies that treat like you said, an like an SDET sort of thing, software developer and test. And that's thought of in some companies as a superset, like somebody that has all the software skills, but they also have this testing mindset that is good and they know how to do all of that and talk with people. There's communication skills as well that go along with that. So it's a superset. But there's other companies still, I think, or at least there have been that I've seen in my past career, that still think of the software testing role as a like a lower thing. 
but maybe that's just a U.S. thing and not a international. It isn't, uh, Brian. It's definitely here and and definitely in India, because <laughs> that's where we're hiring, right? So, uh, so I think it's a, I think it's an international thing. I think there is, um, you know, we have seen some of our estates leave and say, "I want to be a developer." So you are writing code, but I want to write apps. You know, so so I've lost I've lost talent to, you know, inverted commas the development community right yeah and i'm like but you learned code uh infuse right doing automated tests you're, you're a developer right like well i want to code right and i'm like no. so i guess it's just a question of there's a bit of a mindset issue but i think also within you know the challenges for the for the big companies that have you know teams of testers or lots of testers you know what i call those not the s- small companies because they're a bit more adaptable but you know what i call the medium and, and large companies They've got these reams of testers with lots of business knowledge. They've been there lots of years, and they they need to repurpose these people right into into this modern world of smaller teams and iterative life cycles. So there's some of that, right? I think there's a, there's just going to be a natural shift over time where I think these things will move. So you know, if if in our product team at Use Mango we don't have a classic tester role, all developers do test. So you know, we've got. Yeah, all, all six of them. They all do testing, right? There's no tester classic role, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and they all do DevOps, and uh, you know, so they all do infrastructure as code. They all do development, and they all do testing. I have on on occasion, yeah, you know, gone to our principal product architect. I said, uh, "Do you need a tester?" And he goes to me, "We're all testers." I'm like, "Okay, that's, that's, that's you know." So yeah. Uh, and they're, and they're doing stuff, right? Do I need another person? Yes, I'll take another person. I'll take another person. Yeah. I'll take another person and they've got to be, you know, well, they've got to do all roles, right? Sounds great. And actually, I think it's more fun because there's times I like to jump back and forth. I do both. I think they're both fun. And some days I'm I'm feeling like uh, being picky and writing a bunch of tests. And sometimes I feel like I, I need to just focus on the C++ code and stuff like that. So, but the... One of the things I was curious about is um, this. Um, so uh, there's, I want to make sure that we cover a couple of things. One of them is really what is automated tested? How is automated, test, automated testing different than manual? And then also, how are we doing in your view of it, the world, as much as you can determine? Are we getting better as a, as a whole, as a software development community and doing test automation? Let's start with what it is. If somebody, like you said, used to get hired at the end and people would say, automate our tests. Yeah. What does that mean? So automated testing in, in uh, and, and still still is today, which we'll, I know we'll cover a little bit in your, your point, but, you know, uh, automated testing. And I've heard the phrase DevOps in North American customers and, and the UK uh, by both nationality, effectively being regression testing, yeah, mainly around the UI what I call the upside down pyramid, right? Where there's a low coverage of unit tests, low coverage of API tests, and testing validation is done through the black box, which is normally through the UI. Typically done by business users or by specific manual testing specialists using text written scripts, using written procedures, executing the same thing again and again and again. And so when I've heard automated testing and, and automated testing projects that we sold for that first seven, eight years, right? Is, uh, I've got 400 regression test scripts, automate them. Uh, I run them once a quarter, once a month, whatever it is. And I want to get, get that time down and free up these resources. That's kind of automated testing has been. 
now it covers the whole facet of classes classes of tests, not to to be confused by English class thing that one's better than the other, but you know different different types of testing, right? Uh, you know, so, so you got the unit test covers the smallest increment of code, typically white box written by a developer. You've got the API testing, and then you've got still some UI testing, but is normally quite basic. And then you've got the concept of end to end, which is kind of your traditional black box. UI testing, but the premise of that being that you have a larger coverage towards the bottom of that pyramid in unit and API and and system testing, and then a, a less coverage from from the end to end perspective, depending on the depending on the you know things like unit test coverage and 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 also business confidence, right? And then typically from that point of view, you still get the UAT phase, especially on large project businesses will still want to do their UAT to validate that this process is fit their purpose right uat what's that that's user acceptance testing yeah normally done by business users right okay so it's so that's typically still done outside sprint right in large programs anyway that i see so that's kind of uh what i see the other thing i've seen is what we call the mullet i don't know uh <laughs> what, yeah the mullet is you know kind of got short thing in the front and long flowy bits at the back which is what we call agile at the front and waterfall at the back yeah and uh <laughs> And, okay. and, and 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 I call that the the mullet methodology, right? So you know you do your unit testing, you says testing, typically within your agile sprint, it then drops out into what I call a system integration testing and UAT uh, as a, the horrific word they call it sprint, but you know I'm going to call it the waterfall bit, yeah, where you do system integration and UAT and they follow, and then uh, if there's any defects raised, it goes back into the sprint, right, as uh, as backlog item. Oh, I love that. I've also heard uh, water wheel. That might be different, but so the, the water wheel was requirements go in and then a scrum team pretends that they're doing agile and then they spit it out to the tester at the end. A CIO about five years ago talked about, we're not doing agile with a capital A, we're doing agile with a small a. It was a very interesting education in uh, in, in the alphabet of, of capitalization. <laughs> I have no clue what he was talking about, right? But just went, yeah, okay, wh- whatever, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He was from one of those uh, you know, large system integrated companies where you know they have a, a lot of phrases uh, thrown at him, right? So uh, yeah, yeah, mullet. I like the mullet method. I'm going to use that. That's kind of how I've seen test automation kind of uh, go the ways. In terms of what we see now in terms of projects, we see a combination of both. Actually, we see a demand for SDETs to join Scrum teams to kind of become to help out in testing backlog. We also see people who are transitioning to waterfall, but they've had a, they've got a legacy of end-to-end tests in the UI. So they're trying to do that sort of regression test, automate that regression test while trying to keep all the new tests automated as well. The other thing I've seen is that I've seen within Scrum team they've changed the sort of approach and they've changed the organisation, but the people refuse to change. Right. So you know I've heard developers saying I'm not writing unit tests. Because that stops me creating, yeah. Which kind of buggers up things, really, right? <laughs> Sideways, because it's like, okay, well, you still want to create the same way. That happens as well. So, so there's all sorts of funny vagaries that you know, even if you're doing capital A agile or lowercase a agile or whatever it is, right? That the people still don't change, right? I think a lot of people, as I speak to execs, I always say, if you can't change the people, change the people, right? Because um... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> interesting. I haven't heard that before, Ed. I had heard before, if you can't change your company, then change your company. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a question. 
what, what we describe as an agile team, like oh, agile transformation system, I read it, I hear it about it a lot. I see it a lot. How would you describe it? Agile manifesto happened. Yeah. I don't know. Not eighties, nineties. Um, and there were a lot of people trying to work on lightweight processes, like similar to uh, scrum was one of them, but there were, there's many that fall under this category. These are basically reactions to waterfall and reactions to the idea of doing massive design up front and then developing. So the more notion, it's an iterative process. So really a lot of people think of all of the iterative processes as sort of agile because we can take some, a little bit of the requirements that we've got and fine tune them, implement them, make sure, and do what I think of an agile team as somebody that's doing testing throughout development and then biting off a little piece of the requirements at a time, making sure these are clean and always having uh, DevOps is kind of part of it is always having a working solution throughout the whole thing. But really what an agile team is, is a, some people say, if I'm using Jira, I'm an agile team. Uh, Nalan, do you have a different take on this? Yeah, people, anyone using Kanban, right? They could be using Trello and they're like an agile team as well, right? So, uh, you know. <laughs> Or anyone that uses a post-it, post-it note. I've got post-it notes now, so therefore I'm agile, right? <laughs> I, I have seen it. I have seen it that ridiculous. I agree with you, Brian. It's it's really the point around agile is is a set of practices to kind of create small releases of working product, so rather than spending you know five million dollars and nineteen months, uh, and and the business has changed, right? So you know, creating the ordering system for Black Blockbuster while Netflix taken over the world is probably not what you want to be spending your money on, right? Then it's about recognizing yeah. those those changes in need and adapting to it. For me, being able to adapt is a key part of it because that's where the name Agile kind of comes from is agility of being able to change course quickly. If any process during the fight, uh, like an end-to-end test or close to end-to-end, if you're using an API and you find that it's clunky and you want to change the API, if there's no way to do that because of all the process involved, I don't think you can consider yourself agile. That's a personal litmus test of my own. So You're right, Brian. And and I see a lot of people saying there's a lot of what I call a mispronunciation of agile. And I think the the point around it is not to create huge layers of bureaucracy, right? There's things like uh, in in agile that have, that do create layers of bureaucracy, like scale, right? I have been to many a customer where you know, I speak about scale agile. When I say scale agile, I mean it in the literal way. We're going to do agile across many teams. But obviously, safe people think, think it means safe. And I've had violent reactions from many a customer going, if you're implementing safe here, mate, I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's way more red tape than we had before agile. And, and I think people that uh, I, can, I can see when you're spanking lots and lots of money as a CFO and a CEO, you want to know where it's going. But I think Agile still has the lean process. It's just about making those tools come together and report in the right way without having these massive layers of bureaucracy. Right? Yeah. Do you think we're winning the battle? That's a really good question. I go to some customers and uh, I feel yes, right? And then uh, I, I go to some customers and feel, I think in terms of in terms of where we, are we winning the battle? I think it is. I think it's uh, slow. It's happening. It's going to take a while, right? Because there's a vested interest among people, right? And I think some of it also comes from our corporate culture as well. And it's not to be a political thing, but you know, if you go in as a CIO or CTO, you're in for 
an amount of terms. You want to hit a number of metrics, whatever it is, low cost, you know, lowered cost offshore labor arbitrage or hit this business metric and then you're off ski. And so inevitably, the lack of long-term stability within organizations and agile winning in its truest form. I mean, and, that, and reasons why companies like Facebook and Amazon do it is because they've got a leader who's been there 10, 20 years, right? And driving that process. And they keep their teams together for a long time as well. So inevitably, there's always going to be limitations, right? Just by the nature of the economies that we run, right? That's not too, there's not political broadcast. It's just the reality of what we are, right? In this, that's what I think prevents Agile from being really successful, right? You know, to get it really efficient, you need to keep teams together. And, and that's not just, you know, that's not just teams developing product. That's entire teams, right? Organizations. And there's probably just a, a bit too much, uh, too much flux sometimes, right? I think eventually we'll get there. I think we need to do better about teaching test processes and stuff like that to people right out of, like, right when they're learning code in boot camps, we should teach it then. And learning code in school, we should teach them then. And then the entire culture eventually will change. We have similar thoughts on this, and I think uh, we could BS for hours on this, and especially if we could kick our feet up with a couple pints, be awesome. But I do want to kind of wrap things up. I want to give you the opportunity, because I really appreciate your time, I'd like you to tell us what Infuse offers people, where they can find more, and just pitch sort of thing. No worries, Brian. Yeah, so Infuse is a modern software delivery company. As you may have heard in this podcast, we started off automation and performance testing and uh, one thing about test automation is that it brings you all sorts of interesting challenges right you find out about test environments you find out about test data naturally that leads you into devops and test data management test environment management and then even architecture so we're now what i would call a quality engineering company we help businesses transform into modern software practices and we've uh, implemented a lot of uh, companies going applying these practices migrating to cloud moving to function as a service, implementing test automation. And then while we've been on that journey, we've also created a scriptless test product called Use Mango. So that enables your non-technical tester to enable to get grips with uh, tools like Selenium and uh, be able to work with a ready-made framework out the box, be able to drive and build automated web tests or tests on their mobile phones, and uh, essentially enables those people with regression tests to drive to automate that testing, right? Because that backlog still does exist in the industry. So that's what we do. You know, we're based in UK and in India. We're headquartered in London, and we've got uh, offices in Pune and Bangalore as well. And we have was uh, in the US as well. So I guess we're yeah, we are we are well international probably. Yeah, I would say US, Europe, and uh, Middle East. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. But I would say that we are, I'd like to think of the company as uh, big enough to deliver, but small enough to care, right? And, and, that, and that's what we do. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you. No worries, yeah. And thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. No worries, Brian. Uh, yeah, and I just thought uh, I'd throw in, yeah, infuse.it is our URL. So if you need more information, feel free to go there. Yeah, and if somebody's just curious to talk or somehow contact you, do you have a, any way that people can ask you a question or anything? I'm available on LinkedIn, right? Typing in Nalin probably isn't very helpful for, for my non-Anglo-Saxon audience. Uh, my, my surname is the differentiator. So uh, you know, I'm the only only one of two parboos on Google in the planet. There's someone else that's uh, all the spelling of my surname too. But Papa Alfa Romeo Bravo Hotel Uniform. Uh, my name's Nalin. Uh, you can reach out with me on LinkedIn. 
um, on, uh, you know, you can contact me on the website as well. What we do is we've got guest bios on our website. And so people can check the show notes and click your picture and uh, they can get that link right there. So we'll put that right there. Norris, brilliant, Brian. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you, both of you, for sh- Thank you. being on the show. Cool. Thank you, Nolan and Ola. Fun talk. Thank you, PyCharm, for sponsoring the show. Try PyCharm yourself at testandcode.com slash PyCharm. Thank you, Patreon supporters, for your amazing and enduring support of the show. Truly incredible. Join them at testandcode.com slash support. Thank you to all the great people answering questions in our Slack channel. We now have 895 members and many heroes there helping people every day. It's awesome. Join the conversation at testandcode.com slash slack. Show notes for this episode are at testandcode.com slash 139. That's all for now. Now go out and test something. <laughs>